Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. And today we are going to be talking about pastors and money, pastors and salary, housing allowance, savings, and how that relates to you know, what elder boards should be thinking about, what churches should be thinking about, the mistakes that pastors often make, because hey, they're not necessarily trained to be experts in this area, but thankfully for us here at EFCA, we have two individuals who are highly trained experts in the field, and they work with an organization called FCMM, which is really the retirement and benefits and savings arm of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And so I am privileged to have them join me today. And we've got, we got two. We have Rick Stangheli, who is the president of FCMM, and Jerry Rich, who is the vice president of FCMM. And they're both, they both have a ton to say. But Rick, I want to start with you. Can you just kind of tell us a little bit about your background and, and what, what you do and uh, what FC, what, what is FCMM anyway? And why should anybody really care. So go ahead, Rick. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you for having us on your podcast today. We're looking forward to our conversation uh, together. Uh, FCMM is the Benefits and Retirement Plan of the Evangelical Free Church. FCMM actually stands for Free Church Ministers and Missionaries. And we started in 1971. There was a group here who saw the need to help churches and pastors begin saving for retirement. And from those early days, the plan has grown and developed with uh, benefits along with the retirement plan that we'll talk a little bit about. Is that I was a pastor in the Evangelical Free Church for 32 years in a local church setting here in Minnesota. Uh, and I served on the board of FCMM for 22 years before stepping into this role as president. And I've been serving in this role now. This is my third year and enjoying it because it gives me an opportunity to be an advocate for pastors. And I, that's my heart. I want to help our pastors, our missionaries, and our lay employees of churches uh, through this ministry. Excellent. Thanks, Rick. Jerry, well, how about you? What is your background and, and what do you bring? Well, like Rick, my background is a pastoral ministry. Um, unlike Rick, it wasn't in just one church the whole time. It was five different churches. I started as a solo pastor, spent some years bivocationally part-time uh, doing that in hospital management, and then uh, um, for most of my years served in executive pastor role in evangelical free churches. So uh, my heart is for good organization and uh, sound finance and uh, taking care of staff. And that's part of why it's been so gratifying in the last nine years since I joined FCMM staff to be of help to local churches uh, not only through their retirement plan, we have an outstanding benefit plan that has long-term disability insurance. Uh, we suggest that any pastor who's not covered by disability insurance or any other staff members really should be. And of course, we think our plan is the best because it includes provision uh, of recognizing the housing allowance as part of your income, which other long-term disability plans don't. We also started a payroll service a couple of years ago that's been well received and about 50 churches are using our payroll service now, which is uniquely geared to the needs of a local church and understanding uh, all these matters of minister tax status. I also have a heart for helping uh, pastors and churches understand these issues because it's easy to get um, um, sideways with the IRS and with mm. these matters of housing allowance and social security and all that. Um, that's part of why we do workshops on this wherever we have opportunity and why we have a lot of information on our website. So not just about our retirement plan and our benefit plan, but how housing allowance works, how uh, pastoral pay works. Um, so we encourage anybody to take a look when you have questions at the articles on our website 
fcmmbenefits.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know that's again part of the purpose of this podcast is to really showcase the many ways that that being a part of EFCA can really help you that we are better together and. I think there, as, as we sat down about six months or seven months ago, um, when I first started as district superintendent, and we had a long conversation about a lot of these issues. And one of the things that hit me back then was like, wow, I don't know how many of our pastors really know some of these things, not just the standard general things that everyone should know, whether you're EFCA or not, but even just the, the specifics of, of some of the benefits of being a part of an EFCA church and how you guys at FCMM can really help bring a sense of of health and peace because I, I really think that this is you know a lot of times when we there's it's it's a weird thing when you're a pastor and, and you're in ministry when it comes to money because on the one hand you know we're, we're not supposed to be driving Ferraris and living in you know palatial homes but on the other hand we aren't supposed to be hanging by a thread our entire lives financially either and and so I think there we have to be able to figure out how to live our lives in such a way that that we really can have that the the peace and experience the blessing of what God gives us and not have this you know running our ministry over here and then having just absolute chaos going on behind the scenes when it comes to our finances and that's really really disrupts marriages and everything else so what i want to start off by asking uh, either one of you guys is what do, what are the biggest financial mistakes that you see pastors and church leaders make when it comes to salaries or or, or anything that has to do with with pastors and money? Well, I'll start, and then Jerry can uh, jump in and add some things too. I think one of the mistakes I see is uh, pastors wait too long to get started, and it's important to start when we are young. Uh, you know, as we're entering into ministry, I know we're thinking about all the other things about our work, Karen, and all of that. And maybe we have school debt still, and we have other uh, interests we'd like to spend our money on. But it is important to begin to save early for retirement and let that money grow over time. That time is our friend. And as that money compounds, it really does make a difference. And, uh, it's important too, you may start with a smaller amount when you begin, but to let that money grow over time with that steady contribution and increase. And uh, when you get to age 50, for example, there are catch-up provisions that can allow you to add more to your savings and take advantage of some of those uh, opportunities that are there too. And that's a stage in life where maybe your kids, if you have a family or through college or some of their expenses, and there's a little bit more room in the budget to put into retirement savings. Um, Another thing I think that's really important to think about for people when it comes to retirement on the other end is that, um, you know, if you are in good health and you are still effective in ministry, um, people are living longer today too. So I think it's important to consider that when it comes to retirement. Uh, you know, we've, we've been told if you're in good health and you make it age 65 and, and you're still healthy, um, on average, you're going to live another 20 years. One in four are going to live to age 90. One in 10 are going to be age 95. Well, when you think about funding, 20 to 30 years of retirement, that's a long time. Mm. So if on the front end of that, you can continue working and you're doing that effectively, um, that's one less year that you have to fund in retirement. So there's kind of things for both the younger person and the older person to think about when it comes to retirement. Yeah, you know, you talk about savings and, and Jerry, maybe you can answer this question and I'd love to hear what other thoughts you have on this. But Jerry, why is it that a lot of pastors don't, save. I mean, like, because a lot of times they, they, and so they end up having to do the catch up thing later on. But what, what do you think that you see prevents uh, pastors from saving for retirement early on? Well, much of that, Tim, is, is the pressures of life and taking care of the needs you have. And there you've got school loans to pay off typically, and, and uh, you're not in the highest paying profession. And, um, it's hard to juggle all that. And so you, you deal with the immediate crises. And, but I think the other reason 
um, that I was going to mention that you alluded to this earlier. I believe we're also reluctant to talk with our elder board, our church leaders, about what the right um, compensation package is. I do a workshop at, at TEDS for our seminary students each year. And one of the things I tell them is 98% of congregations want to do the best thing for you, but none of them know how. If you get in a room with a group of elders, they don't understand minister tax and housing allowance and your benefit needs. Um, and they typically are looking to you to help them, but then we find that we're reluctant. So we, we have to be willing to be engaged in this to have the right balance, because sometimes a church will say, well, pastor, we've got $80,000. How do you want it split up? And that may sound great to you, but you're not thinking through the health insurance and the retirement contribution and those things you need to be doing. And you can do it more tax efficiently if you work together. So it's really important in the early years to get established on that. Um, a couple of other mistakes we make Many financial advisors observe that parents can get focused so much on preparing for college for their kids mm. that they neglect their retirement. And that's why they end up having to do a lot of catch up. Mm. It's important to balance that, that our kids have some responsibility. There are scholarships and programs available. There are choices of college, but nothing replaces getting money into your retirement accumulation. Another mistake is um, uh, failing to do enough reading along the way to research Social Security and Medicare, assuming you're in that, and we'll, we'll address that topic later. Mm -hmm. But um, they're into your looking ahead of how to best prepare, and um, we need to do our homework on that. Uh, that's part of why we offer workshops like at the... Uh, at EFCA one and other opportunities because it's important to understand these things. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously now we are in a, we're, you know, we're in these uncharted waters. And so whenever you're listening to this podcast, I mean, we are in the middle of, of summer of summer of 2020, which has been the, the year that nobody uh, uh, wanted to ever experience in a lot of ways. And so, and we're, we're living through it day by day here. Can you guys touch on, has this, has, has this pandemic and, and all of the things that ancillary things that have accompanied it, has this changed or what, what factors have come up that, that should affect how pastors think about saving and investing and all that sort of thing? Is there anything unique about the time that we're in now? Well, I'll go first here and I'll, I'll say that in many, in many respects, the fundamentals haven't changed. They, we still need to prepare for our present and future needs, and we never know what those are going to be. You can get hit by a bus today and, and have to deal with disability for the rest of your life. Uh, we all need to address the, the basics of retirement saving, life insurance, disability insurance, and those are, are fundamental. Now, other crises are gonna come along. 10 years ago, it was the big economic collapse for a while. We've had other issues and, and you may be in an area that's prone to hurricanes or um, earthquakes uh, or forest fires. And there are gonna be things that affect us. How do you prepare for a forest fire? Well, most of all, you make sure you have the proper insurance on your house because we don't know those things. That's why we insure them. So I would say the fundamentals haven't changed. The crises have changed, but we need to stick to the fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt that this has been an extraordinary time period uh, with the market going down so dramatically in March. I think it was 32% down and then now coming back up to record highs on the NASDAQ. It's, it's, crazy um, as it's gone. But the thing about retirement planning is you just have to keep a long-term perspective. Markets are going to go up and down over time. 
And, and so you ride those things out, especially when you have that long-term perspective and you're, you're a ways from retirement, uh, you can just let it continue to be invested in the market and go through those. As you get closer to that retirement, you do need to look to make sure that you're having money available in a more uh, liquid or secure uh, area where you're going to have those funds that you need to use immediately or in the next three to five years, for example. And so your perspective changes a little bit as you get older, but markets are going to experience rough spots all the way along. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into some of the, the, the details here so we can really help uh, those who are listening. And because like one of the things that even made me want to do this podcast with you guys is, is I got, I'm not only did I sit down with you a few months ago and it was really helpful, but then I had, you know, I've had a few people go, Hey, does EFCA offer a retirement plan? And I was like, well, yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of like, okay, do you have, what, what are the stipulations? Do you have to be an EFCA church? Does it all staff and is it, or is it just the senior pastor? Does the senior pastor have to carry a certain credential? What are the criteria? If someone's listening right now saying, you know, these guys sound like they're pretty smart. I'd like to know more. I'd like to maybe even invest with them. What does that look like? What's the criteria? Talk a little bit about that. Well, the good news there, Tim, is that the only requirement is that you be an evangelical free church who wants to adopt FCMM as your retirement plan. Uh, many years ago, some may recall, the old pension plan did require that a person have a, uh, that at least one person on staff have an EFCA credential. Uh, those requirements are not there anymore. But so a local church um, looking to do the best for their staff uh, simply has to say, we're going to join FCMM. We have some paperwork to fill out. We have some decisions to make about are we going to do an employer contribution? Are we going to do a match? Are we going to shoot for improving that over time? But that we actually also serve uh, some non-EFCA churches. Most often, a fellow who has an EFCA credential and goes to a non-free church and says, hey, I really liked FCMM. Can our church join it like a, like a Bible church, you know? And uh, we serve them, but we're primarily for, focused on EFCA. Uh, yes, the plan can include uh, all staff, and each church customizes their participation in the plan by deciding how they're going to do contributions. Uh, and the unique thing about a church plan like our denominational plan is that um, you can have different levels of benefits. That's not true in any other kind of retirement plan except a church plan. Mm. So a church can focus their benefits on their professional staff, or they can make all benefits exactly the same. But quite often, especially uh, uh, with a church plant and in the growing years, there's a need to focus on the folks who are going to be there for the long haul. So you can do that with FCMM retirement plan. Yeah. Yeah. And also for churches, there's a real advantage in that uh, to work with FCMM is a low cost or no cost to the church option. If they were to try to set up their own retirement plan and manage that themselves, that's costly. And it it is something that you would need to think about doing for the lifetime of your participants. Whereas working with FCMM, we are here, we are able to handle those things, uh, you know, both from when people enter all the way through their retirement years. We have not only the retirement uh, plan options that they can make in terms of choices for investment, uh, but we also offer in-plan annuities when it comes to that retirement so that you can have a steady monthly income in those later years. And we really enjoy working with churches, answering questions, talking about those kind of things when they're setting it up. And they would be able to talk directly with you, with the two of you. Is that correct? That's right. And also, uh, we have other client service staff that they can talk to as well. 
Okay. And, you know, so for example, and one of the things we talked about, and you'll have to refresh my memory because I'm really not nearly an expert in this, but when we met, you had talked about, for example, the 403B. I mean, the 403B is the equivalent, it's a nonprofit equivalent to the 401K. Is that correct? Yes, that's the kind of plan we are, and very specifically, it's a 403B9 church plan, which offers those unique benefits like uh, designating housing allowance for the retirement distributions. Yeah, now talk so, about that. Talk about that, because I, the, 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 play, the ministry I was at before was a typical 403B, but not the one that you're talking about. Why is, why is the 403B church plan uh, advantageous? Right. So a denominational plan like ours, the IRS considers us the church. And of course, only the church can designate housing allowance. Now, it is true that a local church doing their own customized plan can declare themselves as a 403b9 church plan, but they have to go through all the IRS compliance and, and then they have to track those people all of their lives like you'll have a youth pastor who serves at your church for five years and moves on. Well, what happens when, when uh, he's 65 and wants to draw money and who can designate his housing allowance? Or maybe he's rolled out to an IRA. Well, that can't be housing allowance. But if the money is contained within a church denominational plan, when, when it comes time to distributing that money, we can declare it as housing allowance. The reason the IRS allows that, by the way, in case you're curious, is it's deferred compensation. So if it could have been a housing allowance, the IRS says it can be housing allowance when it's used in the future. Well, as you can imagine, uh, that can be a significant help in retirement when your resources are already more limited. The ability to exclude um, from taxation the cost of maintaining a house in fact, some fellows have, have perked up on that and said, maybe I won't as aggressively pay off my house so mm. that I have more expenses in retirement that I can shelter that way. So there's, there's various planning issues that can arise out of that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is legit. That's significant. Mm -hmm. As an organization, we are also part of the Church Benefits Association, which is this larger network of all church retirement pension plans um, that work with legislators in Washington, D.C. to protect these uh, benefits that we do have. And we work on that to make sure we're compliant whenever there are changes that come out with rules and regulations and things like that. So um, there's a lot that goes into having a retirement plan. And Knowing the Evangelical Free Church, knowing our local churches and their needs, we feel like we're in the best position to be able to serve them and answer their questions. Yeah, and um, so again, that it's it's not your typical four hundred three B plan. So if someone's listening to this and they go, you know that that I could take a housing allowance in my so basically you could take a housing allowance for till the day you die is what I'm hearing you say on this right into retirement. And you're tax right. sheltering that that drawdown that you're taking out of out of it at that point with that housing allowance. Is that right? That's correct. Subject to the same rules as during your active years, that your valid housing allowance is the lesser of your actual cost, what was designated in advance, yeah. which we designate 100 percent or the fair rental value. Sure. And so uh, so as somebody is listening to this and they say, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in that. And they, but they have a current 403B plan. They they could could they roll that over into your into the FCMM plan? They can roll over uh, their plan into FCMM, but it is only dollars earned while in ministry that are eligible for that housing allowance benefit. So it couldn't be money earned from another occupation or employer. It has to be from a, a ministry, a church situation like that. But here's the sweet part of the deal. If they've been in a plan and they put aside in that plan, even an IRA, while they were eligible for housing allowance and they decide to roll it over to FCMM, we can give it the housing allowance attribute when it comes in. So... Uh, they kind of get a do-over if they if they didn't go with us from the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, 
No, this is this is uh, this is important stuff that we're talking about here. Um, so that now I want to get into a little bit of controversy here. Uh, I think it's controversial because it's um, you know it, there's well, there's a lot of rules and regulations and whatever, and there's disagreement on this. But let's talk about opting out of Social Security. Now it's one of those things. It's it's kind of weird. It's kind of like you know, getting married or something. It's like you make this decision and like, till death do we part, right? And and I, it, to me, it's bizarre that, that you know, if you're a younger person, they kind of come to you and say, okay, well, is this something that you want to do? Um, so so for some people, this is going to be a moot point um, if they opted out. But I, wanna, I want you to talk about it because there's, I know there's some people listening to this that they opted out. They opted out a long time ago because they thought, I mean, surely by 2020, um, Jesus will have returned and none of this will matter, which I, the way 2020 is going, they may be right. I don't know. But, but at the same time, they're getting to that age. They're kind of going, oh, I kind of wish maybe I hadn't done that. So I could just, just talk about this issue and give us some, some guidance and some understanding about it. Well, I'll jump in here, Tim, because this is a subject I have a lot of concern about and I'm passionate about it. I think any decision to exercise the option to opt out of Social Security should be made with study, counsel, and prayer. Regarding your genuine biblical convictions, there's only one reason to be able to opt out of Social Security, and that's that you don't believe in ever receiving social insurance benefits. In other words, government program benefits. And the, the, the um, Social Security system, when it was set up and then clarified along the way, did allow people who had genuine religious conviction, like the Amish community, for example, uh, to opt out of paying into Social Security, and that includes opt out of receiving the benefits. They also allowed individual ministers to do that if, if they could um, certify that they had valid biblical theological reasons for it. And frankly, I have to tell you, I've met very few who opted out of Social Security who I could say could elucidate a clear biblical conviction about not wanting to receive social insurance benefits. And I, th that's a problem, uh, but even then, the important thing to remember is Social Security is a safety net, a social safety net, and it's supported by a tax. This is not, oh, I want to do this because I think I can do better than if I give the money to Social Security. It's a tax where we need to render to Caesar what's Caesar's, as Jesus told us. And if we decide to opt out of this tax, it needs to be because we have profound biblical conviction about it. And when, when you sign the form for doing this, the IRS actually sends you back another form saying, under penalty of perjury, I certify that I am doing this out of biblical conviction. Um, the wording is something like that, uh, strong moral conviction. Um, it, it's a pretty serious thing to do. So number one, um, uh, I feel like too many people tell me that they heard from somebody it was a good deal to opt out of Social Security. They wouldn't have to pay as much tax. And that was all the counsel they got. I think there needs to be a lot more. Um, uh, to keep from going too long, I'll point out three articles that I wrote in our recent newsletters and are posted on our website. One is um, Minister's Pay Essentials, which has a chart that talks about how different employees are to be treated. And again, all these are on our website, fcmmbenefits.org. Next, I wrote an article about considering opting out of Social Security. What are the critical issues to review? And I would encourage anybody who's considering it to uh, look through that article. And then finally, uh, I wrote an article, Managing Financial Life After Opting Out of Social Security, What You Need to Prepare For. So the fact of the matter is we have, uh, nobody's done a study, but we think it may be 15 or 20% of our pastors have opted out of Social Security. Um, they have some unique planning needs to take care of, not only retirement income, but they all the more need to be covered by disability 
insurance. And uh, what are they going to do when they reach Medicare age? Uh, there are a lot of issues here to prepare for. So even the practical issues would be reason enough to consider staying in Social Security. Bottom line is, just don't do it haphazardly because it is a lifetime decision that you make. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to emphasize that last point Jerry was making too about Medicare, because I've talked to pastors in our denomination who, you know, they get to age 64, they're looking at Medicare, and they had opted out of Social Security, and they didn't realize that those two things were connected. Well, you can buy Medicare as a premium, but for a husband and wife together, it's going to cost you about $10,000 a year to buy Medicare just to get into that, plus the other um, supplemental needs that you may have at that point too. So that's a cost that people haven't always considered. And then the other thing about um, Social Security is it's one of those few benefits in retirement where there is a cost of living adjustment as well. So that that income that you have will continue to increase during the years where sometimes, you know, in other annuities, if it's a fixed annuity, it's the same dollar amount you're going to get for the next 20 years. And inflation can erode that uh, over time. So those those are other things to consider on this Social Security question. Yeah. And can I mention, mm -hmm. can I mention one other thing? In the Evangelical Free Church, we do allow individual conviction on this. So when you're filling out the, as a form 4351, I think, uh, there's a section that says, I have notified my credentialing authority uh, of my decision here. Uh, in the free church, that means you communicate with Greg Strand, our director of credentialing, and he asks you to write to him what your justification is. He won't turn it down, but he wants you to go on the line as to why uh, you have biblical convictions about this. And you have to fill that out in honesty with the IRS saying, I have done this notification. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. I, I And it's, again, because it's one of those, situ those deals. In fact, they had a thing a few years ago. I was like maybe 10 years ago or something where you they let you for as a window where you could opt back in. Um, that is closed. Will that ever open again, do you think? Or was there some circumstances surrounding that that are unique? It, it's unlikely that it will. Now, this year, there was a little bit of press. Kevin McCarthy, a representative of California who's in the minority in the House, actually uh, introduced a bill to bring a new window for opting into Social Security. And, and there would be various things that would go along with that. It has zero chance of passage. I think it was more for the publicity frankly, of doing it. Um, as long as that party's in the minority, I, I don't think uh, that's mm -hmm. going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So you can't count on any opportunity in the future. There may be, but the last one was 20 some years ago. Well, and it should be clarified too, that, you know, we do have pastors who are bivocational or who maybe have come into ministry later on in life. And they've, you know, they've in a sense put their 40 quarters in, in another field and so, I mean, it's not like they lose that when they opt out of their own church's social security uh, when they get compensated, right? Right. They, they don't lose that. However, there is um, what's called a windfall elimination provision. So if somebody has worked 28 years paying into social security and then goes in the ministry and opts out, when they eventually take their retirement distributions, they have their social security reduced because of those years out of the system. Uh, so that's a little known thing. I mentioned it in one of my articles. Well, again, this is why, you know, we're, we're talking with you guys. There, this is why it's important for everyone to have a connection to people that really know their stuff. And, and Jerry, actually, someone was just telling me about you that you have, you have like, um, I don't know why I misrepresent this, but they said something like a hundred hours of training in the area of, of, uh, of, of housing allowance. So, I mean, you're one of the real experts on this. <laughs> well, I've been uh, pretty devoted to that over my life, but yes, I, I do also have certified financial planner credentials that um, CFP, which uh, 
uh, allows me to speak that language to and uh, delve into it more. So, you know, as we continue to, to walk through all of this, because there's multiple players in, in this whole thing. And, and you know, because you have the pastor, but you also have the, a lot of the decision makers, which are the elders and, you know, and others. It, it's depending how the church is specifically organized. But what should elder boards do for church staff in, in terms of helping them think about retirement? I mean, do, does, the, does the board have a responsibility in your mind to, to come alongside the pastor and help, them th- help, him, think through the, help him think through these things? Definitely. I will uh, jump in on this one uh, because it is very difficult for pastors to talk about their own compensation package. I mean, they aren't in it for the money. money. They don't want to be seen as being uh, greedy or appear that way at all. And so sometimes it can be awkward. I was in a church plant situation and we had to establish everything. And often in those meetings with the trustees or board at the beginning, it felt like things went to the lowest common denominator when we were talking about benefits or retirement or vacation or all those kind of things. And it was interesting for me that when things turned the corner in our church was when one of our trustees, uh, his daughter, married a youth pastor. And all of a sudden it became personal. Uh And he began to understand like, man, my son-in-law only gets three weeks of vacation. That means he has one weekend with his family, one weekend with our family, and one weekend for them on their own, you know, kind of thing. And, And he looked at the other benefits too. And that's when he really began to consider how that impacts us as pastors. And... You know, what I say to that is that if someone on that board will take this issue to heart and be an advocate for their pastors, you will not only bless them, but you will bless your church. Because if the pastor is freed up from having to worry about these day-to-day kind of financial issues, then he's free to focus on the area where he's gifted. And so a church that thinks about retirement planning, medical, thinks about cost of education um, and some of the other needs of the family, you know, or that looks for ways that they can bless their pastor and staff, that, that's great. And, and that's just a joy to see when that happens. Well, I think the other thing is retention, right? I mean... Uh, there's, I would think that that if a church is able to offer some really wonderful benefits, that that's going to help, right? Definitely, it does help. Do you know the National Association of Evangelicals did a, a survey across the country of pastors from different denominations like ours, you know, and and others, um, and what they found is that. Uh, 36% of all pastors have thought about leaving ministry because of financial pressure. Wow. wow. And I think 36%, I think of their years. In any of, given year. Yeah. I think of their years of education and training and experience that would be lost if they walked away because they couldn't afford to care for their family or their needs. And, and so it really is important for healthy churches to have healthy pastors and, you know, families. And that a big part of that is going to be the financial provision for them. Now, being the finance and budget guy, I'll tell you one other mistake that churches make and that many times pastors don't know how to correct this. Let's say a church plant says, Pastor, we've got... to support you. Tell us how to divvy it up. Number one, you should never have that figure out on the table uh, for comparison because any other person in your congregation is going to compare that to their take-home pay. And they're not going to factor in health insurance, retirement, long-term disability, the other benefits that they have 
that are not part of their cash compensation. A church should never have a line item that has everything related to um, supporting the pastor. It needs to be at least in three different ones. One is the cash compensation, which could include housing allowance. But then separately from that should be the benefits, the retirement, the health insurance, so on. And then certainly the cost of doing business like um, uh, expense allowance and, and that kind of thing, uh, mileage reimbursement. That's a cost of the church doing business. Benefits are a cost of the church doing business. And so um, I teach fellows in seminary, if, if your church takes that approach, work on over the next two years, getting them out of that and budgeting those things separately so that's never seen as one big lump sum. It'll never be understood properly if it is. Wow. I, th I think that's very, that's important because even the whole, I think it's easier when you have multi, a multi-staff church, because then like when you present the budget, you know, you can have it's one number and people go, oh, there's like six people in that. They don't really know who's part-time, full-time exactly, or how that's all broken up. But when you're, like you said, when you're in a smaller situation where people can do the math pretty easy, but you're right, they don't know. And they really don't even, I've, I've, you know, my experience is it's very hard because a lot of times people, like you said, they'll compare it to their own job, you know, and they'll say, well, you know, he's a pastor, so, and I'm a school teacher, so he's kind of, he does, basically does what I do, but for a church, and it's like, well, not, not, not really, you know, and, and, or like a business guy will go, hey, you know, he's a pastor, so he's an executive, and, you know, they're always doing that, so, I mean, do you have even, even wisdom about, I mean, you've kind of already said that, so really what you're saying is parse that out, and then maybe include those other benefits in a separate line item that distinguishes it. I mean, if you really feel convicted, I, I just never liked, uh, making public like my salary because I just thought it was it's like that just no one really is going to be happy with that except the people that really do the homework to figure out what's right and there are comparisons that you can find too right there's there's tools for that yeah right there are there are um, tools that can be used by a trustee board or elder board whoever is setting those compensation packages uh, you know, Richard Hammer's organization does a church compensation handbook, their church uh, staffing, um, you know, there are different resources online. And in those local things, I mean, one of the things we always did was we looked at our school districts. Uh, what do they pay their secretaries, for example? What do they pay administrative assistants or support staff to? So that we knew we were in the ballpark not just for ministry, but for our local area. And and that's where, you know, that compensation package, I mean, you need to pay people what it's going to cost to live in their area. If you're in Berkeley or, you know, San Francisco or something, it's obviously way more expensive than in a rural town in Nebraska. Um, and you make those adjustments. Rick, I think the suggestion of looking at the local school district uh, contracts is very helpful. Most churches don't want to pay for one of these salary surveys, by the way. And so I, I uh, confer with a lot of churches who are delighted with the suggestion. Number one, it's public information. And typically it's on the school district's website now. And now they probably won't want to compare their senior pastor to the district superintendent uh, of the school district. So you may have to look at principal and vice principal for uh those levels. But the other thing to not ignore is don't just look at the salary, look at those benefits. Mm -hmm. School districts usually have excellent benefits mm -hmm. and that needs to be taken into the equation, but they are one of the best indicators of what the local standard of living is. Yeah. And so again, Rick, you talked about, and I love what, what this whole conversation, because to have an advocate, you know, so if you're an elder or a, a trustee or somebody that's in a position to be able to have some kind of influence or at least bring it up at a meeting and say, hey, you know, have we really taken stock of this? Because the other thing, too, if you're out of whack on your salaries and your compensation, your benefits is also the idea of replacement value, too. Right. Because in other words, if you might have a guy right now that's not he's not being paid fairly and then he realizes that and he leaves. But then it's like, well, now you have to you're going to try to find somebody else at the same salary and you're not going to be able to do that. That's correct. I remember 
a dentist in our church sharing that, that he had to always be checking what other uh, dentists were paying their assistance because otherwise he would lose them and then he, he would end up having to pay them more to get somebody new and then he had to go through the retraining of how to do things. And so in the same way in the church, you want to keep your staff uh, that are doing a great job and that, you know, it, it's a way to contribute to longevity. And I've always felt that longevity contributes to healthy churches. Yeah. And so speaking of longevity, you know, and, and peop, it's funny because we've been talking about this for like over 10 years now. But of course, everyone's saying that that the baby boomer generation is obviously, you know, getting to that place where many of them are beginning to retire. And, uh, and so we've had, you know, we've talked about succession and succession has almost become its own industry now, pastoral succession. There's all kinds of consultants and groups and that sort of thing. But as a pastor, one of the, one of the saddest things to me is, is when a pastor puts in 20, 25, maybe 30 years into a ministry and, and he, he feels stuck because he doesn't have the ability to retire yet, but he's also at that place where he's just not as effective as he once was for whatever reason. And so in some senses, on the one hand, you can say the church is being held hostage by someone that they love, but they don't have the courage or even ability or whatever to let him go. But then on the other hand, if the pastor leaves and he doesn't, he's not, he's like financially in a bind here. Um, what do you say to pastors that are looking at the next, you know, anywhere from two to five to maybe seven or eight years out from that time when they step away? What should they be thinking about as they get closer to that retirement age? Well, approaching retirement is a daunting thing. And many of us didn't think about it soon enough along the way, frankly, uh, most of us are, are in that boat. Uh, so the main thing throughout your, your ministry years, to, there's one goal that I would like for people to keep in mind all through their ministry years, and that is have a goal of putting aside 15% into your retirement accounts. Um, whether we're talking about your church, your church retirement uh, plan or IRA or any combination of those, and by the way, that's what you'll hear if you go to a Financial Peace University uh, class, 15%. Does that, does that, let me ask you, does that include matching? Does that include the match on the other side? Or is that just your own money? Well, yes, that would include the total contribution. Okay. Right. And, and 50, there's nothing magic about 15%. It's just that that has been studied and proven to work for most people to be able to retire at a suitable lifestyle compared to what they had, typically at a 70% of what their previous income was. Um, so it, it's a rule of thumb that financial planners use that's proven to be uh, pretty good. So that's throughout your life. As you approach in your 50s, it is time to look at whether there's any catching up to do. Uh, you know, you... Uh, Perhaps you've uh, done your flings, you got your red convertible in your midlife crisis and that kind of thing, and now you got to pay the price for it, or, uh, you know, the high college costs and all. So the 50s is often a time of looking at and panicking, <laughs> you know, in 15 or 20 years, am I going to have what I need? And that's why the IRS has those catch-up provisions where you can contribute more. So like... Um, with FCMM retirement plan and 401k plans, you can do your own contribution of $19,500 this year. But if you're age 50 or over, you can put, I'm sorry, 19,000. You can put 6,000 more in. Uh, so that magic age of 50 allows you to put aside more. Now you still got to come up with it to put in, <laughs> but you have that opportunity to do the catch up. Probably the most important thing is to look ahead and say, what are my income needs going to be? And especially as you approach age 60, actually thinking of what a retirement budget would look like. What am I gonna need for everything? Housing, medical, uh, travel, money. And then look at how do my resources align with that uh, if I were to live 30 years? I'll give you one rule of thumb. 
if you have $100,000 and you take out FCMM's annuity that we have in our plan, uh, a couple both age 65 would get $500 a month for every $100,000. Um, you can apply that even if you're not doing an annuity. Think of $100,000 buying you $500 a month income, whether you're managing your investments and all uh, doing that. So then you look at that, you look at your Social Security reports. By the way, everybody should log on to ssa.gov and set up your Social Security account so you can look at uh, what the projection is, and at least once a year, log into it and set it up before somebody else through fraud sets it up. There have mm. been cases of that. Mm. Uh, you know, the identity theft and somebody uh, goes and sets up their own Social Security account in your name. Uh, anyway, take a look at the projection for that. So you put that income together with your projected income from what you've been accumulating and see how closely that matches the needs you may anticipate in retirement. Um, and as you can imagine, Tim, I, I could go on and on about that, and I better not. Uh, so look at what, what difference you need to make. And then in your early 60s, at least by then, start reading about even going to some workshops about Social Security and Medicare. Particularly when you're approaching signing up for Medicare, don't wait until the day you have to sign up. I suggest that people at least two years before they may go into Medicare, go to a Medicare workshop. In fact, don't just go to one, go to at least two. The first one will be baffling, Medicare Part A, B, C, D, and supplemental plans and all that that you're getting exposed to. Go to another workshop and it'll start to make sense. By the third one, you could teach the workshop. And uh, uh, I recommend that strongly. And it can be a workshop provided by one of the Medicare supplement providers. They'll teach you the basics about Medicare in the first half, and then they'll try to sell their product in the second half. Right. And do you, what do you guys offer in terms of, of that? I mean, because you're talking about retirement planning, is there, is there something to, if, you know, one of our churches called and says, Hey, we trust you guys, FCMM, what, how can you help me do some of this retirement planning? We do it more in general principles. Uh, we're not um, seeking to be your individual financial advisor. Mm -hmm. Now, I will offer some, again, high-level advice. We also have a gentleman on our staff, Jeff England, who especially focuses on being able to advise people on their investments. But he can also make some recommendations about retirement. Uh, but we're not trying to supplant your uh local financial advisor, uh, if, if you're not a do-it-yourself person, many people are and, and can read and go to workshops and do a very fine job of it, or even come to our workshops and understand the general principles. Uh, but if, if you need more specific advice, then a financial advisor, if you're willing to pay the price, can, can be of help to you. Sure. Now, I can't wrap this. By the way, I mean, after listening to everything that you guys have said, if you're an EFCA church, if you're an EFCA pastor, there is just no reason why you should not call FCMM. Go online, fcmmbenefits.org, and just look around at what they as what they have to offer and, and really educate yourself and engage in this process because there's just so much advantage to it. One of the things that you do send out also, and I have it in my hand here, you can see it on our little Zoom that we're looking at right now, is the FCMM newsletter. And so, Rick, you are talking about this, and I want to just make sure we everyone hears about this, that there's a matching grant that there uh, are funds available to basically just, you know, as the old song, money for nothing. Um, there's money for nothing. So tell us about this matching grant. Yes. Uh, last year, we received a grant from uh, working with the National Association of Evangelicals and the Lilly Endowment. And uh, it is a grant that uh, allows us to uh, encourage people, pastors who are not in the retirement plan currently, to join FCMM, and we will match the first $1,000 that are put into an account for them. 
So if, if it's a church that already is part of FCMM and you hire a youth pastor, a worship pastor, or a new staff, and they're not in the plan and they want to join, um, we will match that $1,000 that is put in for them. The other part of it, though, is we are asking everyone who participates in this program, through NAE, there are uh, financial planning courses that are online, and that's very helpful. There is a six-session course taught by Brian Kluth that people have gone through. There's the Financial Peace University that Dave Ramsey teaches that is part of it. So it's not just giving money, but it is also encouraging good financial habits. And we would like the pastor and his wife to take that course together and talk about, you know, their financial needs and budget. And uh, that information, again, is on our website, the application form. Uh, we've had we have money for 100 pastors to participate in this. We've had 55 apply and just over 20 now have completed that work and have received their $1,000 match. So pretty exciting. There's still money available and we'd encourage you to give us a call. It's a thousand bucks. Way, yeah, and half of that money came from the Lilly Grant and the other half FCMM is putting up. But I wanna quickly say it's not out of the retirement money. It's out of our benefits side. So um, our operation where we provide long-term disability insurance and all, we're uh, helping fund this grant out of that. Yeah, yeah. I just, again, there's just not really any reason why uh, you shouldn't do that. And and again, I mean, it's not, you, yeah, they may, you're supposed to watch a couple of, I mean, you know, you're supposed to watch a couple of videos on how to be better with your money. You know, it's like, it's like shouldn't be that that difficult for it to do. So um, we just got a, a minute or two more. Um, what's the best way to get in touch with you? What's the best way if someone's saying I need I need to I need to engage with FCMM? What's the best way to do that? Well, go to our website uh, at www.fcmm.org and fcmmbenefits.org. Fcmmbenefits.org and. And uh, you can find our information there. Uh, we are located in the EFCA National Office Building in Minneapolis. But in this strange time we're in, uh, with the COVID restrictions here too, we've been working remotely. Mm -hmm. But we are able to handle all the phone calls. Uh, I can give you, you know, our 800 number as well, 1-800-995. Uh, 5357, 1-800-995-5357, as well as our website. Great. And Rick, a big part of what we've done over the years is we visited every district conference every year. Uh, we will schedule visits with local churches, especially if we can have a cluster together or a pastor's meeting. We are in the at the theology conference, at the AFCA1 conference, except all that's on hold now for COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, we look forward to getting back with you. Uh, Tim, I'm really looking forward if we're able to have the EFCA meeting in uh, January now, right? If, that is the hope. <laughs> that is the hope. And, and we're there to be with you and to speak with leaders from your church and to advocate for you. Well, and I think the other thing too is, it, you know, obviously with the lockdown or the, the restrictions, that's been a hindrance, but... One idea it would be, and I think you you guys would be uh, out for this, if we could get a group of pastors or maybe even just a, if a pastor reached out with his elder board and said, hey, can can Rick or Jerry or, or both of you or maybe one of the other representatives get on Zoom and spend a half hour with us talking about this, how easy would that be? And and that's part of that advocacy, right? Um, and so may, I would encourage you pastors maybe to say before you, maybe you're having a hard time selling this or bringing this up, have, have, uh, have Rick and Jerry come just over Zoom and and talk about uh, talk to an elder board and help because again we have, we have we have good leaders in churches but they're not always necessarily up on the the particulars of of what how ministry works. In the last month, Tim, I've probably had uh, four churches where I've talked with leadership uh, about some of these things. So I'm uh, both Rick and I are glad to do that. 
Excellent. Hey, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, this has been so informative. I loved the conversation about advocacy. I loved the conver- the clarity about housing allowance, the the uh, the um, the push, the admonition, or the plea, the exhortation to save now. Um, the the encouragement if you're getting towards the end to, to, to you can do more and everything else and to plan wisely. And this is all just part of, of uh, stewarding well the resources God's given us. So gentlemen, thank you for your service to God's church, to our denomination. And uh, we just look forward to how God's going to continue to use you both and FCMM in the future. Thank you. Thank you.